Welcome to the Avalanche Hour podcast presented by TAS Gazex with additional support from Black Diamond Equipment. I'm your host, Caleb Merrill. The goal of this podcast is to create a stronger community through the sharing of stories, knowledge, and news amongst people who have a curious fascination with avalanches. Low probability, high consequence avalanche events. That's what keeps me up at night when thinking about avalanches. Oftentimes found as a persistent slab, deep slab, or deep persistent slab problem, these events are tricky to forecast for and can cause large destructive avalanches. Many times they will let you tiptoe on top of them until you punch the button, maybe in a thin spot in the snowpack, or perhaps a rocky reef or rollover. Once initiated, These weak layers can propagate far distances, potentially even into adjacent slide paths. If you have never Googled a lecture by Gordon Graham, I highly suggest it. He gives many lectures and talks about working in high-risk environments, such as law enforcement and the fire service. He explains that tasks people do in such environments can go into one of four boxes. High-frequency, low-risk. High-frequency, high-risk low-frequency low-risk, and low-frequency high-risk. Graham explains that with well-trained individuals, there's a low occurrence of errors in decision-making during the high-frequency events due to recognition prime decision-making, RPDM. RPDM is the theory that the brain is an accumulation of past experiences. When the brain is given a task, it scrolls through the Rolodex looking for similar situations in the past. When your brain finds a similar situation, you review the outcome and you're likely to take the same action that produced a desirable outcome the time before. Graham explains that low-frequency events are the problem. Since the consequences are quite low from low-frequency, low-risk events, we're not too worried about those. Low-frequency, high-risk events are the problem. As a result of not having any slides in the Rolodex for many of these situations, our brain has a harder time planning for and processing these events. On December 19, 2016, in the white pine drainage of Little Cottonwood Canyon in Utah, two friends, Sam Kapasinskis and Jake Thielen, became intimately familiar with one such event. A little before 5 p.m., an avalanche occurred in a run known as the birthday shoots. The avalanche broke to the ground, failing on old facets. It was 730 feet wide with an average crown depth of 4 to 5 feet. In the deepest areas, the crown was 10 feet deep. The avalanche ran 1,100 vertical feet and was classified as a Class 3 avalanche in both the relative to path scale as well as destructive force scale. 
In other words, this avalanche had the destructive potential to bury and destroy a car, damage a truck, destroy a wood-framed house, or break a few trees. Not something you want to tango with. You might say that Sam Kapusinskis and Jake Thielen were cut from the same cloth. Sam grew up in Central Florida, Jake in Tucson, Arizona. They both played team sports through high school and both ended up playing college baseball. These two guys have had some noble work history that expresses their genuine interest in creating a better world. After college, Sam put his education degree to work when he moved to Chicago to work in a deaf education, residential, and day school. Um, It was a really kind of crazy mix of kids who had really um, severe mental health issues, Um, you know, everything ranging from like early onset schizophrenia to bipolar disorder um, to kids who were involved in the Chicago, Chicago gang violence and, you know, had been like caught up selling drugs and things like that. Um, so just kind of a wide variety of issues and then they were deaf on top of it. After college, Jake found his way to the Wasatch as many other ski bums have. Basically found some roommates on Craigslist and packed up my truck and me and my dad drove out here, got in at like three in the morning. Luckily, the guys I met on Craigslist were nice guys and helped us unload and everything and basically spent, it was the winter of 2010-2011, which all the people in Utah remember that year. It was when we had (laughs) record-breaking snowfall and that was my year of being a ski bum, teaching snowboarding one, one to two days a week and bartending at night to pay the bills and that was really when I first learned about backcountry snowboarding. And I think my slimmer, my story is probably pretty similar to a lot of people in this area that we started going out the gates. I don't know if you're familiar with canyons, but at 9990, there's some side country gates that lead you into the backcountry. It's probably one of the most dangerous slopes in the Wasatch, actually, because it's um, very avalanche prone and it's a five minute hike from a chairlift. And so started with that. And kind of as I learned how stupid it was that everyone would just go out that gate with no knowledge or gear, I really took an interest in the education side of it. And so that was when I got my first Beacon Shovel Probe and um, kind of bought all the the books that everyone buys to start learning and kind of teach myself. And then the following winter is when I took my first avalanche safety course uh, through the American Avalanche Association. Uh, Did my level one there. Jake started instructing and guiding wilderness therapy courses for a company named Aspiro based out of Salt Lake. A year later, Sam moved to Salt Lake to start working for the same company, and they met during Sam's training course. So when Sam first moved out here, like like we said, we met each other just randomly out at a campsite in the middle of Moab. (laughs) (laughs) But remember, Sam's background was definitely baseball, and having played me playing college baseball as well, I remember that Sam kind of immediately was kind of directed towards me and seeing that um, we kind of had that one similarity that yeah, we, had been a huge part of both of our lives. Um, I'd say it's, it's fair to say we hit it off right away and like um, definitely looking up to Jake in, in, the, in the respect that, um, you know, he, he was already out here. He'd, he'd been out here for a year. He was kind of... Um, you know, putting together a lifestyle of, of adventure and getting to explore and, and, and having just a different way of life from what I was used to back on, back in the Chicago area. Um, and kind of definitely being really gravi- gravitating towards Jake. And so, um, 
I th- I'd say a large part of our friendship was formed. I mean, we spent a lot of time in the backcountry together, not necessarily backcountry skiing, but um, working at a Spiro. I don't know how many weeks we had on trail together. Yeah, and with that, it's, I mean, we were together 24 hours a day, eight <laughs> days at a time with eight kids that didn't want to be there. So yeah. you definitely build a bond with the person you're guiding with. The two developed a friendship through work and spending time adventuring together in the outdoors. Jake taught Sam to snowboard in a park in downtown Salt Lake and started showing him what he had picked up about backcountry snowboarding and some basic avalanche awareness. I've read all the books, um, you know, and just tried to spend as much time as possible um, getting involved with, or not necessarily getting involved, but just being aware of the avalanche community here and, um, you know, what they're putting out and what um, is involved in terms of going into the going into the backcountry and, and being aware and then just trying to learn from mentors. Um, is that, that's been my background with, with backcountry skiing. It's evident that Jake and Sam had found a friendship that you don't find around every corner. I remember sitting up on a rock in St. George with Sam and another one of our friends that was guiding with us that week. Kind of the moment I decided I was going to propose to my now wife. And like, that was like, I mean, that is the type of relationship we have. I mean, Sam knew before my wife that I was <laughs> going to get married. And like, he was the friend that I confided in with something like that big of a decision. Eventually, Jake moved on from Aspiro and started working for a nonprofit based out of Snowbird called Wasatch Adaptive Sports. Through this organization, Jake was able to help out with programs that worked to get disabled veterans into the backcountry. He worked closely with members of the Snowbird Snow Safety Team to help teach avalanche awareness in these courses. This undoubtedly furthered his avalanche education and terrain familiarization within the Little Cottonwood backcountry. After Jake left Aspiro, the two spent more time apart, and as life happens, things got busy. You can tell from hanging out with these guys that every time they see each other, they pick right back up where they left off without skipping a beat. Sam eventually also left Aspiro and picked up work as a snowboarding instructor at Snowbird. With the onslaught of December snowfall in the Wasatch, the two were excited to start spending more time with one another, snowboarding and exploring the backcountry. We have a pretty deep bond, and we've been through probably a lot more intense situations even before this avalanche than most friends have ever been through, just with the stresses of working at a therapeutic program. Um, so yeah, I think that definitely went along with, I mean, having a touring partner that you do really trust and you know that they're going to make the right decisions and respect your decisions. And I think with me and Sam, like we can be on the same page without even verbalizing it. And we just know each other well enough. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's definitely important and it definitely does all relate to kind of that day and how everything unfolded a little bit. We drink our coffee. We both check the avalanche forecast. We check the weather forecast, and then probably check social media and get on with our day. But mm-hmm. I know it's kind of an every single morning in the winter. It's I'm reading the oh, full yeah. avalanche forecast. I'm reading the full weather forecast. All the observations. Just to get an idea, too, of, I mean, like you should when you're touring, we want to know what's happened the past week. We want to know what's happened the past month, really, so that you mm-hmm. know everything about the snowpack. And we could have recited the full UAC forecast for the day. Every every red flag, every recent slide from the previous days. Good morning, it's Drew Hardesty with the Forest Service Utah Avalanche with your back into Avalanche and Mountain Weather Advisory. It's Monday, December 19th. It's about 7.30 in the morning. 
Skies are clear, westerly winds are generally less than 15 miles an hour. Mountain temperatures are at 24 hour highs, now on the plus side of zero. They're in the mid to upper teens up high while trailheads mired in the cold, dense air ride the fence on this side or that of zero degrees Fahrenheit. Skiing and riding conditions are about as good as they get. For recent activity, ski area control efforts produced a few soft and hard slabs with explosives, but the backcountry scene yielded reports of only shallow, loose snow avalanches. Well, if you're headed to slopes approaching 40 degrees and steeper today, plan on triggering shallow but longer-running sloughs. These will be dry in the morning, but are likely to transition from dry to damp to wet sloughs in the steepest sunlit slopes by late morning into midday. These sloughs in turn may pop out some still settling storm snow slabs left over from last Thursday, Friday's storm. As the avalanche danger diminishes, many people start moving into more aggressive terrain. The key here is that one needs to shift his or her mindset from backcountry skiing and riding to ski mountaineering or big mountain riding. This allows for fewer, if any, mistakes where even a small slough that tips you off your skis or ride could have significant consequences in unforgiving terrain. I'm not saying don't go there, I'm just offering a reminder that the margin for error narrows in this landscape. Lingering storm and wind slab instabilities may be triggered still in very isolated terrain, typically very steep unsupported terrain in the high elevations, but not limited to any aspect. Mid-pack and basal instabilities seem to have gained a great deal of strength over the recent days and are unlikely to be human triggered now but in very steep center snowpack areas on slopes in the high shady terrain. For the bottom line today, the moderate danger exists for longer running dry and potentially wet loose snow avalanches and steep terrain today. These sloughs may in turn pop out some lingering storm snow instabilities from our Thursday or Friday storm resulting and a larger avalanche debris pile. Shallow pockets of wind slabs or lingering storm snow avalanches are possible in extreme terrain or if the winds pick up beyond expectations. For mountain weather under sunny skies, mountain temps will rise to the mid-20s at 10,000 feet and near freezing at 8,000 feet. The westerly winds are expected to blow 15 to 20 miles an hour along the ridgelines and we may see some high clouds Streaming in by the late afternoon ahead of a quick-hitting cold front for Tuesday night into Wednesday. Even the most optimistic models offer a trace to 3 inches, but it should help mix out the inversion. Ridging follows for a couple days with another storm slated for Friday into the weekend. Remember, this information is from the Forest Service and describes general avalanche conditions. Local variations always exist. We'll update this tomorrow, and thanks for calling. Jake and Sam had been planning a tour with a couple other friends that would start in Little Cottonwood and finish in Big Cottonwood. There would be a mix of experience levels with both ski touring and avalanche education. As most plans do, this one changed, and in the dark morning hours of December 19th, Jake and Sam were the only two left to be able to go touring that day. So then that was when me and Sam kind of talked. It's funny because Sam's a morning person and I'm not. And so I remember kind of thinking like, I mean, I wouldn't mind sleeping a little longer and maybe doing a little shorter of a tour. And Sam was right on the same page with me. And then so once it was just the two of us, we were like, well, we could go 
go out one of the snowbird gates because I had never toured out of, I'd never toured out of Gad 2, and the only time I'd been out of Mineral was in one of the um, backcountry courses I was doing with the vets. And so we went up to Sinners Pass and then just skied some mellow trees back down. The buzz was like, all right, we kind of got one of those rare windows to ski some big lines and really good snow. And everything was really just coming together to mm-hmm. make it kind of one of those epic days. And that was part of our conversation of like, maybe we should just go ski a ton of lines. But then at the same time, it was like, we both had an off day, like maybe we should make a full day and go kind of see some areas and some drainages that we had never been in before. Here's Jake talking about his mindset for the day. And I I do remember kind of vividly thinking that day, like I always ski low angle trees, like everything on paper was adding up to like, maybe it is my time to start kind of getting into the bigger stuff of the Wasatch. I mean, when you work at Snowbird every day, you see these peaks, like it's a massive (laughs) like canyon of like these epic lines. And I do remember that day kind of the acceptance of like, all right, like these are the type of days that like all these people are talking about. I mean, some of the younger people are definitely pushing it way more than I think they should, but it was like, a lot of people I really respect in the avalanche community and just in the snow sports community that have been doing it a long time and are very conservative would be skiing these lines in these conditions. And kind of like, I mean, my snowboard ability is by far there. And it was like, maybe it's time to start getting after some of these kind of bigger lines that I've been reading about. And I've been looking at pictures that I've been wanting to get into. And um, again, it was definitely putting a lot of my, I don't know, trust in the forecast for the day because I hadn't been out touring since the new storm. Even driving to the trailhead, you know, like I, like Jake said, I'm a pretty big morning person and I'd already been up a little bit. So I ended up getting in the trailhead a little bit before him where we, when we dropped the uh, cars off at White Pine and, um, you know, I remember the whole, the whole drive. I live over in Holiday. And so basically the whole drive to the mountains, I can see the peaks, you know, Broad Forks and, um, you know, I can see the wind kind of whipping up there and that it's definitely coming out of the west southwest and that it's loading onto the east faces, you know, like, OK, you know, we should we should definitely watch for some wind loading um, on, on east faces was kind of definitely one of the thoughts. After dropping a car at the White Pine Trailhead, the guys headed on up to Snowbird. They made a plan along the way. And we'll just spend the day out in the mountains. We didn't have any real objective like jake had brought up the birthday shoots um but it was more of a idea like oh like you know maybe if we end up over there we'll be at the birthday shoots like we can just kind of go out poke around go out into mary ellen go up the twins and then um we can still do not necessarily cross canyon tour you know but pretty big day um and and kind of check everything out and just spend a day it had been a while since we had even hung out i think and so it was like let's uh, let's just get out and spend a day in the mountains together, you know? Yeah. I remember thinking kind of just preparing for a, a pretty big day, um, knowing kind of the relative areas and knowing how we could go out the backside of mineral that we would end up in AF Canyon and then eventually back over in white pine, but really actually didn't do a whole lot of research on looking at the map and seeing what the canyons kind of actually looked like the drainage is kind of for, how far the day was going to be. It was more just kind of let's go out and see where we get and obviously make good decisions and 
as long as we end up at White Pine at the end of the day, we're obviously going to be back in our car. Mm-hmm. And I think we hadn't even thrown it out that potentially we could even just come off of one of the ridge lines and end up back in Snowbird if the timing allowed. But it was really just kind of getting out and winging it a little bit as far as destination and kind of just exploring kind of some drainages that we had never been in before. And so, I mean, that definitely did catch up, at least with me a little bit, that as we summited a couple ridges, kind of realizing that we were further away <laughs> than that I thought of where day. we were finishing. Yeah, for sure. Kind of we're looking at what we were recognizing while we were out there. We obviously knew south facing was going to have some warming. And so we made sure to stay off of any south facing um, while that sun was hitting it. We were paying attention to where areas looked wind loaded and obviously staying off of that. I mean, I remember specifically as we summited a couple of the ridges being completely in wind scoured areas. I mean, we were walking on rocks for a lot of it, just making sure that we weren't going to be on a wind slab or anything. Um, When we got over towards AF Twin West um, and we were, I think at that point it was probably like 2.30 um, and we didn't want to ski the East face back into Mary Ellen, you know, cause that's where we were seeing the wind loading. And then it was like, okay, so what's the, what are the other options? Like, <laughs> I don't really want to ski pipeline back into snowbird. Um, we can go back around, uh, where we skinned up above the outhouse chutes, but that means we're going to, it's by the time we get back over in the mineral, the lifts are closed. So now we're hiking out of there, you know, and it's like, okay, well, we've been talking about the, like, not saying that we're going to go ride the birthday shoots, but like, Oh, you know, let's get over the birthday shoots and then we'll kind of decide. Um, and I think probably somewhere around the AF twins, you know, with the timing of it and it started to become like, okay, like, yeah, that kind of seems like the only direction that we're headed now. Um, and we did actually look when we were on the AF twins, we did look down pipeline bowl because we saw that we were going to have one more kind of ridge to summit. And I remember peeking over the edge to see if there was an obvious line that we could pick down that. And that would have just kind of ended us in Gad Valley and we would have finished out skiing out of snowbird. Um, but it was not good enough coverage and a lot of exposed rocks and just way too many question marks to drop in. So we kind of, yeah. once we looked, we quickly, that idea in the trash and then decided (laughs) that it was definitely going over towards white pine and seeing what looked like the best way down white pine i think there's three kind of obvious choices while looking at the utah backcountry map of where we thought we were going to ski um birthday shoots again was just one we had heard of but the other two we were still planning to kind of see what they looked like when we got over there yeah what was it tri shoots and long john silver yeah So I remember we still hadn't even committed to where we were going to actually drop in. Um, I believe it's Red Baldy. We were hiking down and you could see where the wind had kind of scoured uh, the west facing. <clears throat> and so we, at that point, we're kind of, I mean, I, I personally was expecting there to be more snow up top there. And so it was kind of like, well, I mean, we're obviously not going to drop in on these rocks. So it was kind of, let's walk down um, until we can find somewhere that's actually starting to get some snow coverage. And so it was more so that we were hiking just down that ridge line. I think it's Temptation Ridge is what they call it. And it, it was obviously leading in the direction of the birthday shoots, but it was more so let's wait until we can see where the snow coverage kind of starts and where the heavy winds stop. 
And it led us to, I mean, we obviously kind of recognized where we were at and kind of saw that it was the birthday shoots. And kind of at that point, it was, I don't remember the exact conversation, but I'm pretty sure it was along the lines of like, all right, it looks like we are at the birthday shoots. Like, is mm-hmm. this this how we want to go down? Um, or what else do we see? Like, we kind of looked around to see if there was any other areas that looked like they would be good to drop. And I think we both just kind of like, hey, we've been hiking all day. We've talked about birthday shoots. They look filled in. Here, Let's just go no for it. Looking back at pictures, I think it was like 440 as we were kind of getting to that area. Probably like 445, 450 as we actually split our boards. And then I think like everyone does, we kind of enjoyed it for a moment of just kind of relaxing up there, taking a drink of water. And I mean, the sun was setting over Salt Lake. It was pretty epic views that when you hike all day, you got to stop and enjoy that for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And we were wiped. I mean, we were, we were pretty good. Like we had brought food and water, but the winds were, were definitely bad up top, you know, so once you got, we got up really above the, the outhouse chutes, and then the whole boot packing traverse around over to the, to the top of the birthday chutes, it was definitely like, I mean, it takes a lot out of you, you know, so, um, yeah, we were, we were pretty white by the time we got there. And we'd been hiking pretty much eight hours with I mean, not really a, any big breaks. We would stop for five minutes and grab a bar or a tuna packet and then keep moving, but pretty much hiking for eight hours. I think we had planned to, to ski out to the bottom and then get a, there's a spot, uh, a zone that you can get off off to the left is what it looked like. Because I remember talking about like, you know, especially with us both being split borders and you going first. So it was like, okay, like where's the spot where I can get to that's safe. And then it's still enough for me to continue to coast out and get, not get caught in a run out zone. Um, and it looked like there was a spot where once you got down out, out towards the apron that you could get off left. So you started in kind of right into the heart of it. Um, we were, we were right at the top and, um, started to come over, you know, to get in the chute, and I think I had made about three turns, and I thought I heard something, um, and I ride left foot forward, so as soon as I heard it, I started to cut out on my heels, um, and look over my shoulder to the left, and didn't see anything, you know, like, it was like, oh, that must have been something in my head, and it was, while I'm traversing out, like, it was, I think, a three or four count in my head. You know, like, okay, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, there's still nothing going on. That must have been just something that I, you know, in my head. Uh, and by that point, I had gotten, you know, traversing out skiers left, gotten closer to that, the, the tree line and that ridge. Um, and so I thought, you know, like, game on. I had only made three turns, like, game on. Like, that was that was in my head, and, and time started going again. Um, started to drop along the the that line and man Caleb those were such good turns <laughs> uh, it literally they, I, I joke around with people but, but it was a serious thought that I vividly remember having right before I um, right before I got hit I just come off a hillside turn and remember thinking honestly God like 
that was one of the best turns of my life. Um, it started to come back on my toes, lean it, lean it over. And at that point I'd probably made, I don't know, 12, 14 turns, um, and was right smack dab in the middle of the shoot. Like I remember seeing the choke right before it hit me. Um, and there was no sound, no nothing. Didn't see it coming. Um, just as I started to lean over onto my toe side, it was an immediate smack. And then, um, instant darkness, goggles ripped off everything that you've ever heard about, you know, someone who's been completely submerged in an avalanche, like totally true. There's no clue which way was up snow instantly in my mouth. Um, you know, people have asked me like, well, did you try to swim? And it's like, man, I was moving in it, but like, I wasn't the one moving myself. Um, you know, I remember being really tense. Um, and I remember having enough time to think, like, oh, I'm going to suffocate, you know, like this is, I got like, try to, try to swim, try to get out of it. Yeah. Try to move and whatever you can, but also try to conserve your energy because I just got hit by a lot of snow and, you know, the wind's knocked out of you and you can't, the only thing you want to do in the whole wide world is take a breath and that ain't happening. Um, and yeah, so I, I don't know how long it was, you know, best guess somewhere between 15 to 45 seconds, but I honestly have no idea. Um, and then it stopped and I was on top. It felt like I'm a big brother. So I was kind of a jerk to my little brother. Sometimes when we were in the pool, you know, you hold them under and like wait until they're really struggling and let them up and come up gasping for air, just, and thinking I was going to get slammed right back down again. And, um, I didn't, you know, it was just, I was able to kind of like arch my back. My head kind of popped out. I was able to spit out snow and take a deep breath and, you know, trying to keep my back arch to stay up above the snow. And, um, it, the whole thing was, I couldn't really see cause there was so much of a cloud around me. Um, but I could tell that it was slowing down and stopping. And then, you know, when I stopped, I was buried to about my knees, um, right side up, you know, like literally board still strapped to my feet, standing on my board. Um, and yeah, it was like the first probably 30 to 60 seconds as the cloud continued to pass over me was very much like, uh, you know, you're touching yourself cause you're going, wait a minute. <laughs> I was pretty sure that this was over and then you're standing there and it's not. Um, and yeah, I mean, um, it took about 30 to 60 seconds before the thought became like, okay, where's Jake? 